massaging his head. It was a bit, the only bit I could actually probably reach properly, you know, his face and everything, just saying, and telling him how much happiness he'd given me and how much talking about the happy times we would have. And, and I found myself saying, and we'll have these again, we will, because he was sure we would be there together sometime. And just telling him this. And then I found I was in golden light. It was the beautiful, beautiful, strong, strong light and I could see nothing else. The only time I could see was when I moved my head to my daughter and told her to keep playing the song he was playing, Chris James, as We Are The Angels. And she had, I said, to, look, you're on, this is the real thing, Eric, this is it. And you know, he, and that's, and this light just got stronger and stronger and stronger. Then I could see, I had a sense of moving. We were moving, but I don't know how we're moving or what was happening in that moving. I don't know the distances. It was just moving and I knew where we were going. And then I started to see in my vision of the light behind Eric, there was all these little golden people running together, coming from all. You got to accentuate the positive. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another episode of Accentuate the Positive Media with Karen Swain. So great to be with you again. I've got another extraordinary woman to introduce you to today and we're going to talk about something really amazing. Her name is Glennis Brown. Glennis is an international Qigong master, medical intuitive, principal of the Energy Medicine College in Western Australia. She's a healer and a spiritual speaker. She's a medium and a psychic. Glennis is all sorts of things and she's got a fascinating story to share with us. Welcome to the show, Glennis. Thank you, Karen and everyone. It's delightful to be here. Isn't she beautiful? Glennis is obviously in Australia. You'll hear that, you'll hear that lilting Australian accent, as Francis <laughs> says about her mother, her Australian mother, her lilting Australian accent. She's all the way over there in Perth, Western Australia. I'm in Sydney on the other side of the continent. We are a continent, aren't we, Glennis? We are. We're definitely an island continent. <laughs> An island continent. And uh, actually a good friend of mine, Jenny McFadden, another amazing healer and spiritual teacher, introduced me to Glennis and she said, oh, you've just got to check out Glennis's story. So what we're going to talk about today, she connected us because your wonderful partner and husband, partner in crime, I should say, partner in healing, Eric, left this world or left his body not too long ago. How long ago? Well, just uh, it's two and a half, almost two and a half years. Two and a half years uh, ago. It seems like yesterday, but still, he's around. Yeah, well, in his perspective, from his perspective, it is yesterday. But yeah, um, yeah and she had an amazing experience with Eric, a shared death experience. But Glennis is somebody who's had a couple of NDEs. So we're going to go into that and we're going to talk about your awakening journey and how you came to discover your spiritual abilities or spiritual gifts. Some people say, I reckon if you're going to call them gifts, God's gifting it to everybody. 
So totally. totally. So you first started, I think you were a baby when you had your first NDE, weren't you? Yes, I was rushed to hospital, um, 200 k's about that gravel road because I had Pink's disease. I've only ever found two doctors that knew what they were, what it was. And it was um, mercury on teething powders that you put on a baby's gum. And so a lot of babies died. And I learnt um, a few years ago through uh, my mother's cousin that there had been a nurse there that had saved my life at, um, in that particular time. She said there was no way I was going to survive except that nurse came in and whatever she did worked. And, um, and just spent most of her time she could then with me, when, you know, until I was better. So I was in about five or six months in hospital as a baby and, of course, didn't know anyone when I came home, didn't see my parents. There was no such thing as cars and fast transport. And I think I saw them once. And, uh, yes, so that was the first one. And do, you, do you remember that one, Glennis, or is that just... Um... No, I only... That one was told. I do not remember. I, I could go back. I do it for other people. I haven't tried it for myself to go back and, um, and I will go back and see if I can check it out because I can't see why I shouldn't. I take people way back, yeah. in, you know, lifetime. So I ought to be able to do that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Something to do on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And then how old were you when you had your second one? 51. A couple of years oh. ago, Glennis. Yeah, I wish. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one was the big one. And I've been having things happen to me, um, you know, things, uh, all these different gifts, oh, I don't call them this, but all these different experiences would happen to me. And it kept changing, changing, building up, changing. Nice put my hands on my head and say to run around and say, Eric, what are they doing? I don't want this. I don't want this. Who they were, I didn't want, didn't know either. But um, So what was, happening very safe. what was happening to you at the time that you were the having time your I you actually had, I was in the middle of a blood clot in my heart. So it was a major heart attack. Oh, and, okay. And only by, it was a Sunday and I'd only been married to Eric for four months. And we'd travel to see family overseas. And I, anyway, I was back and I got, we were at lunch with my brothers and uh, I got hotter and hotter. He had a lot of heating in the room. Then I walked, you know, I was walking around in the afternoon knowing I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Never said anything to Eric, who I talked to all the time. And then when we got home, I went to lay down because I felt as though I had the flu. He popped next door to a, uh, elderly couple where he had a, a drink perhaps every now and again after work or something with them a lovely older couple which I that's me now and and um usually be there half an hour an hour went no couple as soon as I lay down I got the pain all across my body all across my body and I thought I can't move I can't talk I didn't have mobile phones my ordinary phone wasn't by the bed and I was thinking I wasn't thinking actually. Eric walked back in the room from next door. He picked it up straight away and came straight back. So oh. fortunately for me, there was um, the doctors had just been allowed to open on Sunday down the end of our street, about 20 houses. Um, 
the ambulance people told me I got the, the only one of six doctors that could have saved me because I don't remember anything except Eric put, put me on his feet to walk me out the door and get me into the car. And I woke up hearing the um, doctors there saying, I've given her th um, three lots of morphine, I can't give her any more. Mm -hmm. um, unless she wakes up, I can't give her any more. That woke me up. <laughs> so, but when Eric was getting me out of the house, um, I just got, he just got my foot, one foot over the front door and I heard this voice say, do, nice, just hear, beautiful, nice, loud voice, do my work or else. It wasn't threatening. It was, oh, do it or else. And the or else was like this beautiful, I can only say whatever the energy was. It was so seductive that, you know, I almost felt myself doing this. And... Um, and I knew I had to have a split second decision. And, um, and so I thought, I can't do this to Eric. He's lost everyone except his son. And I have to stay. <laughs> and that's what happened. And from then on... So um, the voice that you heard, Gladys, was yeah. a male voice, a female voice, a nondescript voice. Was it your own thoughts? Was it, how did it... No, no, it wasn't me. Because I've been starting channeling things, I know the difference between me and something else when that happens. It was definitely wasn't me. I would have thought, you know, if I thought about it, I would have said male. If I thought about it, maybe I said female. It was, as you described, it was a very rounded. It was very loving. It was a very um, clear voice. Um, and there was no doubt about how seductive I wanted to go with that voice. Right. It was, it was like, and as soon as I said, um, and I felt the pull, it was really, really, really strong. Were you still in your body? Yes, mm. yes. I was still, um, yes, because mm. I remember hanging on Eric um, holding on to me. Mm. And, but when you think about it, a good part of me was going. Mm. And as soon as I made the decision to stay, it just, it was done. It mm. was done. No so in your NDE, you didn't actually leave the body and go to another realm. It was just a um, oh, I've done that. Yeah, I don't, there was like, well, put another way, I was split in two. Mm. You know, you could, you, could, you could sense yourself going and... Um, because previously to that, I think once I'd been to the gates of heaven for and heard the singing and all these wonderful things, um, and I'd been to other dimensions by that time, it was just like, well, it was just very beautiful, but also not shocking. It was no way was it shocking. It was, um, it was, it was so welcoming. Mm. And it was like that all the other times I've been to Heaven's Gate. But with Eric's, it was... Um, I can only say to people, um, uh, as everyone does, it changes your life. It makes you more certain. It makes you um, appreciate it a lot more. You can't do anything but appreciate it now. And... Um, after that time, I had no fear. 
like of all the things that were happening to me, I had no fear. Um, like when I was told I had to heal somebody and I didn't do healing in those days. Mm. And I said, oh, that's no, that's, that won't happen because I've got other appointments. No, those three appointments disappeared and three people came in for healing and away we went. So, mm. But I was also t- told non-touch healing, which no people did in those days. Mm. And, um, but it's, it's very profound. Mm very profound with with qigong and other methods so yes and then i spoke the next i have heard that voice again um once so when was that when eric entered heaven oh okay so we're going to get to that yeah so how did you meet Eric? So you were in your late 40s when you met him. I love love stories that are late yes, in the game, as yes. they say. And how did you meet Eric? Well, I met him when I had for a few years, I've been wanting to do Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. And I learned there was such a thing as Tai Chi. And at that stage, um, until then, until I found this person, you couldn't learn it in WA or Qigong. So um, I rang up and I said, I'd like to join it. And then he told me, no, that it's already started. You can't come. So I said, having a bit of background there, I said, I know people leave. I'm sure you've got one more spot. And after having this chat, he said, all right, you can come. So I went along and at the end of the term, that finished, that segment. And um, so he said, you can go down I only do this one. You can go down the road a bit and there's a, a hall there and you can come and do Tai Chi there. And I thought, okay. So I went along. It was the school holidays. And that's when I walked in the room and Eric was there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know him. And I looked around the room and very naughtily, I do apologise, Eric, many times. I saw someone, I'm not interested in them. I've got, it's got a big hot tummy um and I, I mean i really wasn't interested in everyone else i'd had a difficult marriage and i really wasn't any in, in, interested but it popped through my head but at the end of the talk this man walked straight up to me walked straight up and leaned on my shoulders this way and in the front of me and started massaging and i just went oh this is good and then i thought oh i don't know this number his name or anything, pulled back and he just pulled me forward again. Away we went for another minute or two. I don't remember the next, we had a bit of a chat and away we went. So the next meeting, the next week, we both seemed to turn up early and we had a bit of a chat and I travelled to the country that day. He travelled down also. I thought, oh, he's someone who understands what my job is. And then we left and I went off to quilting because I'd signed up and so I didn't see him again. And I went and joined another Tai Chi class down by the Swan River. And um, a little bit later, I joined that and um, really enjoyed it. It was really great. And about three months, just would have been just four, three to four months after I'd seen Eric the first time, the instructor says, ah, look, look who this is. And down over the um, little bit of a hill there, down walked Eric all dressed in his nice white long socks, white shorts and shirt. Very, very confident man. And so that's how we met again and continued to meet for quite some time. And um, 
And I started walking around the river with him afterwards. And um, one, then he told me he had to go away for a while. To um, He was actually had to go around the straight state for his job. And that was that. And I just left. Never mm. heard from him. And then one day um, I thought, got this strong feeling in my lower dantian, in my lower, in my belly. And I thought, God, I have to sit down. I don't know what that is. The second day, I thought, look at the time, six o'clock. The second day it happened, I looked at the clock and there it was again. I sat down. So the third time I sat down in my front room and thought, I'm going to see if I can do that. And when it came, I just sent my energy back and I nearly shot up to the roof. <laughs> it, um, okay, I'm not really understanding what you're saying. You, you got a pain in your lower belly. No, not a pain, a pleasurable energy, a big dose of energy. I'm sorry. Oh, in your lower belly. Oh, okay. Yeah, big dose of energy. Oh, okay, at six o'clock each day, you got a big sort of uh, pleasurable pain in your lower. Yeah, very, very strong. Lower chakra and you're below yeah. your navel. Okay. And so on the third day, you sat down and you said, I'm going to send the energy up. I'm going to send it to him. To him. Uh, Back to him. That's what I was going to do. Oh, so, okay. I did send it back to him. And the joining was, um, I think amazing is a very understated way of describing it. And I thought, wow, wow. So the next time, another couple of times, next nights, did the same thing. And, um, and then when he came back to the class. Um, okay, okay. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack this a little bit. So... So, okay, so the two of you, he was interstate on a job and you were at home in your front room and the two of you, you were communicating through your sexual energy is what you're saying. Yes, it was. Right. So were you kind of like, it's giving me an image of the movie Cocoon. Remember in the movie Cocoon? I definitely, yeah. He's in the swimming pool and he wants to have sex with the alien and she says, go and sit at the other side of the pool and she sends the sexual energy to him and he has this orgasm and go, Ooh! And then, <laughs> and they have sex basically by not touching. Is that what you're saying happened? It was coming to that. This was the right. start of that. He was just warming me up. <laughs> okay. the way I saw it. Uh -huh. And when I said to him, when I saw him again, were you doing that? He just was non-committal. Didn't say. Well, did he experience the same pleasure oh, at the oh, same yes. time? Yes. Oh, yes. Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> He um, uh, he really hasn't lost all that energy. Okay, yeah. So now that he's not embodied, he's still uh, he's still yeah he can still uh, transmit his energy, of course. Um, all right. So, what were you doing at the time that you met? You weren't working as a healer. Dog barking. No, I was in education. I right. Was, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Eric was showing you. Um, he wasn't working as a healer either, but he seemed to have a a knowledge of how to flow energy, how to flow his energy, which you obviously becoming a qigong master, you learnt yeah. and mastered as a as an international qigong Later. Yes. Yes. Master, but he was giving you an experience of this energy flow through the lower chakras through your sexual energy that was quite uh, intriguing to you at the time. Oh, it was delightful. <laughs> <laughs> also surprising. But it was, <laughs> I will say surprising. Lovely. Yeah. And um, I remember saying to him at one time, 
when he was overseas and I was here. No, when he, no, he was in Australia, but I remember saying to him, why don't you phone me like everybody else does so I can talk? <laughs> I didn't get much of an answer to that. <laughs> but, um, uh, he, he could find me anywhere. And I, I, you know, anywhere. Okay. So during this experience of this pleasure, was it just like a, just like a sexual energy or were you having some sort of uh, intellectual communication with him as well? Like speaking to him, were you sort of communicating telepathically or was it just sensation? It was just sensation then, but mm. I learned that one night I was, um, home in bed and I thought I wonder where he is so I mean I knew nothing about him I just put my hand up like that and I thought oh there he is so I found him and I saw what he had on so the next time I saw him I told him what what had happened yeah I don't know how he ever felt after that that I could find him anywhere overseas and um so there was a lot of um I would say energy telepathy in a way because he knew the instant of that heart attack had hit me. Right, yeah. He, he raced back. Right. Um, Connected at the hip, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when, he, he, yeah, when yes. he met you, Glennis, he had an instant knowing that, you know, you were connected. You didn't because you were still in your, oh, you know, critical mind I don't know if I want to be with someone in a pot belly which is so funny that's when I met my second husband I had an instant knowing too and yeah. um but my thought was do I want to be with a bald man <laughs> I don't want to be with a bald man <laughs> that, <We do> it. <laughs> that mind you know that yeah. critical mind that loves to criticize and judge everything mm. but he seemed to have an instant knowing what did he say to you about that like I knew instantly that we were going to be together or did he just say, I thought you were cute? <laughs> uh, well, what he, what he did say actually, well, I enjoyed looking at your little shorty short shorts. <laughs> <laughs> He's a character, isn't he? <laughs> he well, he is. He is. Yes. <sighs> uh, I used to say that sometimes and I've gone, not that, I wouldn't be wearing those once now. Those times gone by. <laughs> You're a couple of years younger then. Okay, so you were together for 30 years. I'm going to bring us up to his transition. Was there anything else that you want to say about your life with Eric? Or uh, I think I believe the heart attack came because I'd never known life to be good, really good before. And he, right. this, it was really, everything was marvellous. I was so happy with him. that my body couldn't um, believe it was true. And that's the sort of thing that happens. That was all. But I did have a wonderful life with Eric. Uh, it isn't. And do. Yeah, you didn't do. So obviously during those 30 years, you, uh, 30 odd years, you learnt, you know, you changed your whole perspective. You started to look into energy healing and, and, and Qigong and, and spiritual mastery and all sorts of things. And, you know, that's been your life now and is your life and, you're obviously really good at it. So let's take it to leading up to his transition. What was happening with Eric and you? How close to it do you want me to start? Oh, wherever you want to start. It's up um, to you. Well, Eric, we found out um, um, he had uh, liver cancer 
Right. And I didn't even see it. And I can see that, you know. Because you're a medical intuitive. Yeah. Mm. And over distance, over the, across the world. But he, I looked it up in my Qigong books and I knew which one he had. Mm. And it's one that nobody can see until it's fully developed. And it's the nastiest way, the doctors and the specialists told him, it's the nastiest way to die. And he was amazing. He he said that they tried, they couldn't diagnose it. That's what happened. So they couldn't do anything. And he said, well, I wouldn't have chemo anyway. Cause he, but what he did do is he said he would know when he had to go to the hospital, to the hospice. And um, there was a few difficulties between that. But he said he, he'd know. And I trust him for that because he would. And he did. And he came to me one, one, um, one day in the morning, just stood there and said, it's time, I've got to go to the hospital, hospice today. Okay. So I asked him, would he, could we have one more night because time is moving? And we did. And next morning he said, I asked him, he said, yes, I have to go today. So we went in and he went from somebody who um, was amazing at keeping his pain at bay, amazing. And I asked him, how'd you do this? And he said, well, I just counted down from 10 like they do in the hospital till I got to one. And he did that consistently. He was, his energy was so warm and um, strong and um, very powerful and very knowing. And so he gets into hospital from non-eating and he starts to get, he was very cheerful. He ate everything. He was very happy. He said to everybody, um, uh, they came in, the doctor came and looked in, the nurses, oh, I'm good, I'm happy. He was very happy, laughing, laughing. And I, just, uh, I just got this image of him with his hands on his hip and he says, what do you mean was? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, I fell into it. <laughs> and I think I did have a glass of water too. Is very warm and powerful and loving. So he, he managed his pain without any drugs, you were saying. like Oh, he did have, yeah, they put him on a patch before he left the hospital when they told us he would only live, this person came into our life when he'd only been diagnosed from three to nine months and this person came and put a um, opioid um, patch on him, the lowest one, and the doctor said, you know, let us know straight away when the pain gets too much because this... 12 can go up to 150 he never he never went higher than that mm. he was still working cooking doing everything um trying to do a bit of painting and um looking after you yeah he was uh, he was 88 at the time yes nearly 89 yes nearly 89 all right so he goes into hospice and what happens then well um i try i rang my um cousin who was um a, a moderator of the United Church in Perth earlier and asked him would he come and see Eric. He just got back from overseas. He came, he just, and he talked to Eric. And during that time, Eric prayed I, aloud and I have never heard him do that ever. Mm. And it was the most humbling experience of my life, wasn't it, Eric? It was the most humbling experiences of my life. And it was beautiful. What did he oh, say? I can't remember. It was just oh. so beautiful. Ask him. What did <laughs> yes, you say? Yes, yeah. 
he just told God how much he loved him and mm. um, and how much he um, wanted to um, ask forgiveness because um, he was asking people and he came to me and said, I'm sorry for this and I'm sorry for that. And, and it was just... <sighs> It just says, doesn't really matter, Glenis. It was, it was, I suppose he thinks it's a bit private. He just said I was doing communing, I was communing with where I was going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Really, it was that. Mm-hmm. And he was giving, he was, I heard him twice do that. And um, I mean, when my, my cousin came in, the motor, first thing he said, oh, I'm sorry I didn't go to your church, John because it's only up the road from us <laughs> and he, and uh he had a yeah he was very funny and very happy and um and then i had two what the other there's a number of things happened he we were grand chi grandparents to one of my ladies i taught qigong and energy medicine to yeah. and she told them about eric earlier when they thought he would die and he didn't he lasted another right. 10 weeks. Mm. And they told us he only had a few days. Right. And um, her little girls were about six and nine and she'd explained that Eric would look different and they would go and see him if they wanted to. They wanted to go. But the youngest one stamped her foot and says, because she said, we'll go Friday. This was Wednesday, Tuesday. And the little girl stamped the foot and said, no, mummy, we've got to go today. We've got to go today. And she kept that up until her mother says, okay, we can't go today. It's late. We'll go tomorrow. Will that do? And that did. And so, so she, she was right her. because if she had come when she said Eric was in the coma, Mm-mm. but they came and gave him and the father who's a doctor thanked Eric when he was in the coma for giving his girls a, their first good experience of death. Mm-mm. And because they were not the little one, but the big one was chatting. And then when they left and went, left Eric and went outside, the older one said, Mummy, you said Eric's face was different, but I looked into Eric and it was Eric's heart in there. Beautiful. And yeah, it mm. was very moving. And, uh, so he looked a little emaciated, did he, towards the end? Extremely. Yeah. Oh, extremely. Okay, that was the every, every day he went out. I wonder what he was doing. He's putting a new hole in the belt. His belt round for right. Belt. He was just losing weight. Okay. Oh, yeah. So through all this um, sickness and illness, he wasn't suffering so much. He was he was using his energy to just. He was using his qigong and qigong, yeah. yeah. But when Eric was very good, when he was keeping it to himself. Mm. But he was still as he was still very active, mm-hmm. and and not once did I hear him do anything. He only just said, "Oh, I thought I had time to have a trip down south before I left," and he didn't because um, he wasn't well enough. And after being told he could die any time, he didn't really want to do that. Mm-mm. And um, but he still looked quite well then, and when he's told that. But no, he. Um, I think Eric was very, very good through his life. He'd lost his mother to cancer, his sister to cancer and a bowel problem. He'd um, lost only a few years before his son to cancer. 
his other son he'd lost early on with um, a motorbike accident, they're both in the police force. And um, so he knew how to hold back, um, how to be very private, I think. And like if he, when he, if ever he got, had to stay in bed or got the flu or something, he would just go there and just curl up and wouldn't want me to talk to him, nothing. He'd just stay there till he got well. Whereas I'm the opposite. Where are you? I need to something that. Yeah, he just did uh, it himself. But he I've got did to say, I'm, I'm a bit like Eric. I, I, I realise that when there's distortion in the body or dis-ease, mm. dis-ease in the body, that if you give it enough, uh, if, you, if you relax enough, you, you know, the body will just heal itself. So, yeah, animals do that too. They just crawl up yes. under a tree and, yes. just, and sleep for a day or two and yes. just let the body do what it needs to do. I, I tend to do that too, actually. Okay, so you're in the hospice and he's, um, and he's just about to transition. What's happening? Well, the last, um, before, just before he went into that um, um, coma area, we had other friends come to visit us and because this was sudden, Eric had asked him earlier he'd like a beer and I'd never, I mean, I've only saw Eric drink beer once too much. He'd occasionally have it, but he really didn't drink. Despite his build, he didn't have a lot of alcohol. It's not his life with me. And, um, but they um, didn't know how ill he was and he had just set himself up ready to go into the coma he says oh you know he says oh i think i've seen everybody now because it was late and put his arms across his chest and says i'm ready the other side wasn't quite ready for him and and anyway this couple came in with an adult daughter and it, it came in with a beer well this man that was gone from this suddenly sat up and says yes i'll have a beer Ready? Oh, but first I'll have a beer. <laughs> That's and hilarious. So he, he, he put out his glass and, you know, put about this much in and both his wife and I are saying, not too much, not too much. And because it had been absolutely silent before they came in, you know, the energy dropped and everything. And next thing you know, he's laughing at them, saying, I have some more, I have some more. <laughs> One last party. <laughs> one last yeah, physical party, one last hurrah. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And he didn't ask for it, it just happened as it does with Eric. And uh, yeah, so after that night, he went into a coma and he was there for, um, for a few days. And on the day he did was going, um, I'd had no sleep for, you know, five days hardly. And um, I had I told I had three people with me, my daughter, another of the Chikong people, another one we who had helped to have um children and she's got four sons and um they were there with me and I just said, Look, would you go they were talking and I said, Look, I've got to lie down. Would you just go outside for a while? Come back and sit in meditation, come back and quiet, but tell me if Eric's breathing changed. Next thing I know they had um touched on the shoulder, Eric's breathing's changed. So I jumped up and flew across the room and um, he'd had the death rattle, which I'd been, I hadn't heard, but I, I'd been with a lot of people that had died when mm. I died. Mm. And um, I just went over and started massage, you know, massaging his head 
it was a bit, the only bit I could actually probably reach properly, you know, his face and everything, just saying and telling him how much happiness he'd given me and how much talking about the happy times we would have. And, and I found myself saying, and we'll have these again, we will, because he was sure we would be there together sometime. And just telling him this. And then I found I was in golden light. It was the beautiful, beautiful, strong strong light and I could see nothing else the only time I could see was when I moved my head to my daughter and told her to keep playing the song who's playing Chris James as we are the angels and she had to press the little thing every four lines <laughs> and she kept going and um Eric's eyes had been closed before when I this when I went to him his mouth had been open and then his mouth um, closed, his eyes one half, three quarters open, the other opened, uh, about a third opened. And he had, was known for his different eyes, so an unusual blue. Mm -hmm. Everybody commented on Eric's eyes. And um, he, and I commented one, it would be really good if you kept them where I could look at them and not roaming around me all the time. <laughs> and he, um, his eyes had no pupil. They were this beautiful turquoise aqua blue. They were so bright and there was no pupil, which was a bit of a shock to me. But nevertheless, I continued this and, um, and then I went, um, I said, to, look, you're on, this is the real thing, Eric. This is it. And, you know, he... And, that's, and this light just got stronger and stronger and stronger. Then I could see, I had a sense of moving. We were moving, but I don't know how we were moving or what was happening in that moving. I don't know the distances. It was just moving and I knew where we were going. And then I started to see in my vision of the light behind Eric, there was all these little golden people running together coming from all around that I could see, all running like mad, all coming to get in front of us. And, and we just kept going. And then I saw, because I do see people at funerals, their loved ones, um, I saw his first wife, Taz, and his um, son, Graham, and his son, Jeffrey. I said, they're all waiting for you, Eric. They're putting their hands out for you. And, and then what happened, he just... Um, what they did, these people all parted like they were a sea. They all parted so there was a place for him to go. Mm -hmm. And he, he um, and all of a sudden I heard this voice. He, I saw, heard this voice and it was the voice I heard in 1991 and it says, ah, one of my favourite sons has come home. And then, lucky me, I got to be here. I got this big brick wall, grey green solid wall came down as close as that to me. I couldn't see anything, nothing. I thought he's, I knew he's got that was it. He, it was just this incredible mossy grey grey wall. That's all I could see. And as if, as if your nose was pressed up against it. Oh yeah, I was right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a, 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 a sword put down me in front of China once when I went somewhere they thought I shouldn't have and it was the same effect he stopped he just stopped yeah. but I had no 
it took me, I don't know how long, perhaps only seconds, it didn't feel like it, before I found myself back in the room. Body, and yeah, that was right. gone. And, um, and it left me with this enormous happiness. Mm. I mean, it's gone. It, it, it was the rapture. It was, it's, I was happy with Eric a lot, happy with my work, happy with him. But this was unbelievable and it is very, very welcoming. And it is, um, it's just so loving. And uh, when, after they got the nurses, I had to go outside and sit. I had this lovely little nurse come up to me and try and sympathise with me in my loss. The whole time, tears have been coming down my face. Mm -hmm. And a couple of times I'd had to bring in more energy, as I, I had never done before in my life. I pulled it in from above me and from below me and pulled it in so I could keep going. I had to do that twice. And I'm just sitting there saying, oh, I'm very happy, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, um, when my daughter and I went to arrange the funeral, and um, the lady they're talking to, she spoke to us for a few minutes. She said, do you know you two people are glowing? And <laughs> you're absolutely glowing. And I, I didn't, you know, I felt good, but I didn't realise that. And it, it went on for quite a while because it was my birthday the next week, um, nine days after it died. And it was still all there. My, one of my friends came into the house. She's, oh, it's all light. It's all good. It's like Eric's still here. And yeah. she was fearful because she was Italian and every funeral she went to was sad and black and everything. And, yes, so... But he did make, I did understand it was, um, from him that he wanted me to pass on his message like I am now, yeah. that even if you've got a life-taking disease or matters, no matter what way, um, you, will have a, you can have a good death and, and pass it. That was his big message and still is. That's why I'm here, I guess. But um, he was with me the next morning. We went home and um, my daughter stayed over and I got up the next morning and neither my mobile or my ordinary phones would work. I, just wouldn't. I was a little upset. I had to um, get tell people he'd passed and that's not an easy job. Mm. And, um, and so she came over. Sorry, yeah. guys, especially when you're feeling so elated oh, you know yes. you're in this swimming in bliss and then you say somebody you, you say to somebody eric's passed and then they go oh that's so sad. and then they can't try and bring you down like oh let me just get sad for you it's just it's it's, it's an interesting dichotomy yeah, isn't it, it? Is, and it, it is and it was one that i couldn't do for too long because i asked, yeah. asked my daughter and, and everybody else to do it and yeah. because i just couldn't do it and yeah. um but what, and why I couldn't is, um, why I couldn't was uh, I was having a few tears and my daughter was out here trying to work the phone. I'd already, already rang up, um, tried to get help, but no. But I felt this, um, Eric was there, I felt him touch me on the shoulders and say, Glennis, turn around. And he turned me around, I was at the seat, so I was facing him. And he gave me a hug and he said, stop worrying, I've already sent someone. And I thought, who could have sent? What well, you know, oh, disbelieving me. And within five minutes, the one that was one of the people that was at his passing, where she had a couple of sons, and she was going, 
she told us she couldn't come the next day to see me. She had to take them back down south to country to play hockey. She walked in and she came straight outside and fixed the phones. Right. I've already said someone to fix the phones. Okay, so when you said he put his hands on my shoulders and turned me around and gave me a hug, is this happening in your third eye or is this happening in your... F- no, my whole body. Okay, so you felt... But just some- like if I gave, he gave me... I was physically, was so physically. when you turn around, did you see him? Did you see an apparition of him standing there? What did you see? Or did you just feel I, him? No, no, I saw Eric, but just not solid like Eric is. Right, so an apparition, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And... Um, like a see-through Eric. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, but the sense of his physical neck of turning me round um, and that um, was very strong. He he was very strong on that, very big. He's given me some amazing experiences um, in many ways, but funny experiences and different experiences. We didn't have the funeral for six weeks because my family were all overseas except my niece. Okay. And my daughter came up from South. So I had to wait six weeks. Right. Which um, was a very lonely time, but he was in, he was there. He'd come and there was his energy and he could do with it what he wanted, basically. Okay, um, so with the loneliness, it's interesting when you say lonely and you're never alone. Uh, the loneliness was a missing of his, of your routine, of his physical form. And yet you are having this powerful relationship with his spirit, with his love, with his energy. It's interesting that you say it was a lonely time because there he was with you. Mm. So you were missing his physical presence. Yes, because um, I quickly learned that he mostly would be there when I felt very happy, when the energy was up. Right. Or when we were like this today and things like that. And I quickly learned that. No, it was lonely because I didn't see other people much. It was over Christmas, New Year, and I didn't have anybody around much. Oh, okay. And um, I was just lonely because every second we had been together for some years, 24-7, and every second he just wasn't there. Okay. Yeah. Um, His funeral was very funny, but... Was it? Uh, He's just saying that that, you know, that was a kind of designed plan because he wanted to establish a new relationship with you in that same relationship, but just a new way of experiencing it. So had you had the distraction of all these other people, you would have been focusing on them and maybe feeding them and making them cups of tea or whatever you do. Uh, So it was sort of like a beautiful time for the two of you to establish the newness of the relationship, like the new way in which you would be relating. Uh, So when you were feeling lonely and sad, you didn't feel his presence. And when you were feeling up and happy, you felt him very strongly. More often. Sometimes more often. Right. Yes, more often. And longer, I would say, probably. Yeah. Um, very naughty boy, Eric. He was lovely. Um, yeah, he... Uh, Did he throw you any of that sexual energy that, like when you first met? Yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, Eric. This is Come public. On, spill this the beans. <laughs> just had, I just had. He um, distance never did worry him and things like that. I suppose, yeah. but uh, yeah, he did. Much to my surprise, 
I don't know why I was surprised. I keep getting surprised. Yeah, never stop. Eric never stops surprising you. No. Okay, so what happened at his funeral? Why was it funny? So he had a really sort of um, a dark sense of humour. Not one of those funny clown type people. He would just throw curveballs at people, wouldn't he? Yes, yes, because he was actually, a lot of people thought he was, like, I mean, he was very high up in the police force and a lot of people saw him as very severe and things like that. Right. He wasn't, he, the further he moved away and he was, because most of the time, um, he was only there two years when I knew, most of the time he suddenly came back to himself. But um, he was a great healer, wonderful healer. And um, and just very quietly went around my workshops working with people. And um, yeah. so he was a policeman. He was a sergeant in the police force, was he? An officer? No, he was a commander. The only one at the time. We've got five now. What's He's responsible? I, well, it was somebody who looked after all the police stations. Right. Somebody that um, somebody that only was responsible to the. Um, highest policeman himself right and he he was many things he's on a many committees he um he went um he was on an australian crimes committee he was all things never talked about it anybody you ask him like a guy cut his hair for 14 years and i told him some of this afterwards and he says but never eric never said no he always said oh, i'm a policeman and, oh, sorry, um, I'm a bit confused about the hair bit. I don't understand where that fits in. Who cut his hair for 14 years? Oh, the hairdresser he went to. He goes oh, to. right. Oh, okay. So, so he went to a hairdresser for 14 years and never told the hairdresser who he was. Right. He just said, I'm a policeman. Okay. So he was humble. He was. He yeah. was. He was. And he very much at the end, it was astounding. But, of course, he had a lot of things that he saw and had to do that he didn't like in his life, right from right. a little boy. And, um, and I think that, you know, he went to the war at 17, the Second World War at 17, mm. and he was one of the people, would have been 18 perhaps. He had to have a note from his mother so he could go offshore at Melbourne because he was underage. And, um, and here he was in a war and went into the... Um, up New Guinea way, the islands. So and he helped carry the people out of Shanghai prison when the war was finished. Wow. And that was very, very, very serious. He, said, he couldn't even say what they like. But when he was in hospital, sort of towards the late time, a trainee doctor come in and talked to him. And Eric told him all about his war life, which he would never mention anywhere else. Really? Yeah, and the guy went home and checked it and came back and said that was all accurate. Right. Did he ever write his memoirs or anything like that? Do you think we didn't try? We didn't try. And when he did write, want to write things down, he found very quickly couldn't write. I've got his writing about this much and a couple of recipes. It Was it because it was just too emotional or? I think, so. oh, yes. yes. He says that he can still write them through you. <laughs> that's what we're going to do okay <laughs> <laughs> he's looking very smug <laughs> yeah he doesn't have that same um human mind anymore you know where you get sort of a no. bit too overwhelmed with emotion 
he says he enjoys emotion a lot more now than he did. <laughs> I can imagine. Okay, okay. What's happening at his funeral? What are you up to? Well, we go. Yeah. Oh. Well, because he'd only earlier on in the year had his his legs were um, giving him lots of pain with um, going out of shape. You know, it's older and that, and lots of pain for years. And when they finally agreed to help help him um, put a knee operation, he had to go to the gym first, which he did. And when, then the specialist said to the gym, I was there, he said, look, this is, this is the healthiest 88-year-old man we've ever had. Yeah. That's how he went into it. And um, he came out, his legs straightened, but they also discovered a, a little um, something they didn't know what it was, was. It wasn't his liver, but... There's a whole nother story about that, so I won't go into it. But um, at his funeral, he showed how good his legs were. He First of all, he had the coffin. I was very close to it. It was in a, a funeral parlour, and um, they had to put two extra tables to take all his medals and everything from the police and the Freemasons and the things he'd had through the war. They even gave me another medal while he was there, the police, and while we were there. And um, I looked around, I was looking at the coffin, looking what's there, and all of a sudden um, I saw him dancing in front of it, dancing. He looked more like bones and just more ephemeral sort of thing like that time. And I'm looking and I'm starting to laugh. And I thought, now what's he doing? Is he doing the Scottish Highland fling, the Scot, because his mother was broad, spoke very broad Scots. And, mm-hmm. Or is he doing the sailor's hornpipe? How did I know what that was anyway? <laughs> and I thought, I can't do this. I've got to, my son's gone is up there speaking um, soon. I've got to get up and speak. I, I said I would because there was a, well, I said, my son said he couldn't say that for me and I had to do it. And I knew that the night before. I'd already written it out, very short piece. Um, but there he's doing this. And so, and then he, um, what happened, he sort of disappeared. I, I concentrated back on what was happening in front of me and physically. And after the funeral, his, um, all the chi people that had known him, most of them had been with him for some time, mightn't have been with him recently, but with him a lot, said he, he, he danced up and down the aisle of the room he was in doing this with them on their head as he went. So were you the only one that could perceive this or were other people? No, no, they told me. I didn't they see saw it. it. I front. What I did get back was the, the mother of the little girl I spoke about with her, its heart and things. They were sitting next over the aisle from me. There was um, Eric's, his son's um, wife there. But then this family was sitting there and she came to me afterwards and she told me exactly what I had seen. Right. She saw the same. Yeah. Oh. oh. <laughs> and and did, did the little girl see it or the mother saw it? Or oh, both? Look, I don't know because the dad had taken them out because it got a bit long towards the end. Um, yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. But the mother and saw it, the mother of the little yes, girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's very connected. And, yeah, connected. Um, all your chi, all your chi people, your qigong people. Yes. Yes, yes, they're all. I, I wouldn't expect that that he would um, be That's seen right. by all of them. But if he, if he yeah. wasn't seen, he was felt, and um, and uh, yeah. So that made all them happy. Yeah, and um, and the general thing about it was, 
there was different groups there from Eric's life and um, yeah it just was a the energy was very high compared to other funerals I've been with. It was very, very high. Oh, Glenna, so it should be. It was a celebration of his life and he was dancing. I, he just, was, he I just wish that that was every funeral. I remember a friend of mine whose mother was quite old. Uh, I don't know, I think she was in her 90s. Anyway, she talked about dying for years. She was very connected. She talked to the divas. She used to grow these massive vegetables. She used to talk to the nature spirits, very connected to spirit. She knew exactly where she was going and she was quite keen to get there. And she talked about it for years and she used to wake up in the morning. She was never dead. She used to go, why are I dead yet? Anyway, <laughs> she always said to her family and her daughter, who was very spiritual, ran the Academy of Light, uh, I want a party. I want a celebration for my funeral. I do not want a priest, you know, rabbiting on about some religious rhetoric. I said, I, she wants a party. She wants a celebration. And I went to her funeral and it wasn't. <laughs> and I'm like, why did, why did some, why haven't they done what she asked for? You know, it was oh. your traditional funeral with oh. the priest and the rhetoric and, oh. you know, it was just, yeah. So I, every funeral should be a celebration and a party. And I walked out after the funeral and so many people I didn't even know came up and said what a wonderful funeral it was. Yeah. Oh, we had the police bagpipes and things, but it was Eric himself that made it so wonderful you know and uh, yeah and my cousin one of my other cousins came out and said every funeral should be like that yeah so that's dreadful yeah well they're my they're my instructions hopefully uh, uh it will be carried out yeah my 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 daughter woman and will outlive me and uh, none of this cutting, you know, none of this cutting trees down. I just, I've, I'm, I've got this real bee in my bonnet about the waste of a, of a coffin, especially when you cremate someone, you cut down a beautiful tree and then, you know, make this coffin and then put it in a fire. It just doesn't make sense to me. I, I just want a hessian sack, throw me in the furnace in a hessian sack, <laughs> sprinkle me over the ocean and have a good old party. You know, really rip roar it up. Have a really good party. Anyway, I think. And you'll be there enjoying it. And I'll be there dancing with everyone. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and Eric was like that. He didn't want any, not a cent spent on his funeral. says, Glennis, no. Just get the cheapest thing you can. And uh, I know, and these coffins it, cost like $5,000, oh, $10,000. Yeah. Oh, anyway, and, don't, get, don't get me started, Glennis. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many beautiful things that you see now where you can put their ashes in this pot and then this you put this pot in the ground and a tree grows, you put seeds in, in a tree and like and these um like mushroom type coffins where you put in the ground if if you don't cremate people and again a tree grows on top of it. Rather than cutting a tree down, you know, plant a tree with the cessation, with the transition of a physical life like create new growth as opposed to ending growth with cutting down a tree and making it a coffin anyway i'm, I'm having a i'm on, on i'm on my, my soapbox now about that I've got <laughs> <laughs> well, I, asked, I mean eric we, he had this conversation with my son before they went away because he he knew he would go was just starting to go down mm -hmm. and he said that he said don't spend any money um on a um don't come home, you're on your holiday to see your sister and other things. Do not come home once I've gone because there's nothing you can do. 
by the time you got home and of course it would have cost thousands of dollars. He did get home earlier because he worked it that way. I guess Eric helped him. Mm. Um, and but that that and he just said, look, they'll put me in a put me in a, a box, put me in and they'll put me in cold storage and I'll be there when you get back. <laughs> I'm standing sitting there looking at him like this. <laughs> but he wouldn't say where he wanted them and with Asher's scent he says you do what you like so I asked <clears throat> I asked some the people in the, um, the most advanced class I have and they all got the same answer the garden Eric loved his garden and so mm-hmm. um, it was rather funny because a friend went down and picked up the ashes for me he never got back to me for weeks he says I've been driving around with young Eric here next to me Young Eric. <laughs> so did and you put them in your garden? I started, there were so many, I managed to go right around my garden. I tell you, I've had beautiful flowers since. You sprinkled Especially. them all over the garden. Oh, that's, <laughs> so, that's so cute. Oh, look, we're um, coming up. We just have to start wrapping it up now. Yes. Any uh, messages that Eric would like to leave with people listening to this? Yeah, it's the same one, just it's like never to worry about their dying because it is so beautiful. Yeah. It is so peaceful. And he's telling you, he's telling me it's not a lot of fun. Um, but um, he's, well, that's nice. He said, I've done a good job. Um, um, you have done a good job. It's a hard job. Um, he he says it's good when you, if you regret you've done something, say you're sorry, whether you're sorry or not, and you it will help. Um, it's really he just keeps repeating, make the most of what you've got. That's it. That's the message he's giving me. Uh, exactly. He says, dying is a lot of fun and it's just so beautiful. Never worry, he says, but, you know, living is fun too. And uh, make the most of what you've got. Yeah, enjoy it while you're here. Don't, don't wish to be there. Because the thing about these NDEs and the afterlife discussions is a lot of people who are not enjoying their life, um, you know, they look at this and they go, oh, I want to go. I want to be dead. I don't want to be here. But actually, when you're on that other side, looking back on this life, you think, oh, wow, I had so many opportunities to do so much and I didn't because I kept yes. thinking I wanted to yes. be, you know, in heaven. Yes. But being here is such a short, it's such a, even an 88-year period, it's like a blink of an eye. It's just such a short mm. time and make the most of what you've got. Make the most of your life is exactly, yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. Make the best of it. Make the best of it, yeah. And enjoy, have fun. And that's just what you're doing too, Glennis. You know, you've got this beautiful man who was in your life physically and is in your life spiritually and he's, you can still have sex with him <laughs> even though he's not in his body. I love I wouldn't that. put it quite as blatantly as that, but that's supposed But I would. <laughs> I know, I'm a terror. And what did he say when I mentioned that? What does he say? He's just laughing. He's got the biggest glow on his face. He's kind of proud of himself, actually. (laughs) Typical man. (laughs) And uh, he's got a great sense of humour. Love that. Um, Thank you for sharing your story with us today. And thank you, Eric. He's like a naughty little boy. 
I love his sense of humor. He's got such a great sense of play. It's interesting because I, there's another fabulous Eric that I've told you about that we've talk, spoken to, Dr. Lisa Medhus's son Eric. And when I was chatting to you on the online the other day, the two of us, they he both of them showed me of um, an image of the two of them like arm in arm like this because they've got a similar. Um, Eric was a twenty year old who who left this planet and he was he was a mischievous sort of naughty fellow mischievous um and they've kind of got the same time but different a similar sense of mischief and intrigue and uh and both of them uh, uh, yes and both of them you should make sure you say both of them are working from that side and still very present here as um as guides and um and they say and he says your eric says you know, if you need anything, just call on me. I'll come That's, help you. Yeah. That was my message I had for you this morning before I sat on, sat down to this. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. From something we'd spoken about yesterday. And, uh, yeah, and just ask. And I say to everyone, just ask Eric. He will help you. Yeah. And he does. If they yeah. ask, he does. Yeah. If I ask, Very. he does. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, yeah. Ah, thank you very much. We got through it. How was that? We got through it. <laughs> she was. Oh, it was your energy was. Wonderful. She was a little nervous about coming on camera and you know sharing her story as a lot of people are that I speak with. But uh, you know, it is in sharing our stories and our journey and our and sharing of ourselves that we change the world. Because I know that a lot of you that are listening to this or watching this can feel your own journey inside glances and. Um, Thank you again for sharing your journey oh, with us. My pleasure. Wow. Pleasure. <laughs> yeah, thank you too. And Eric's. <laughs> and Eric. Don't forget Eric. <laughs> Bye for Bye. now. Bye, everyone. Isn't the beautiful Glennis Brown just gorgeous? Such a such a beautiful, beautiful woman. You know, she's an amazing teacher and she's got a course coming up in Perth if anyone is listening to this in Western Australia, Perth, teaching people about uh, energy flow and Qigong energy. So using that energy to connect to your spiritual talents and your spiritual abilities and that divine energy and bringing more of that divine energy into your physical form, your body and your life. So if you're interested in any of that, just go to her website. It's glennisbrown.com and you'll see her courses there. And yeah, she's writing a book called My Life with Eric, which will be out when she finishes it. And I'm also going to get her to do a chapter in the Awakening Soul series. Uh, it's another book on the boil. You know, I want to do a book about dying well because I think I think so many people transition from this world and they go through so much suffering and it's not necessary. You know, we can, we can exit the matrix in a really graceful, beautiful, peaceful way. And I think that Eric's story is a, is a, is a great example of that. Even though he had liver cancer, he was obviously tapped in, tuned in, turned on to his, um, you know, higher self and spiritual knowledge. So he knew what was happening. He seemed to be quite present with what was happening, but anyone can be. And uh, we need to spread more of those messages because, Yes, society and mainstream are always talking about how it's so horrendous to die and people are so scared of it. There's so much fear around death and it doesn't have to be fearful at all. So I um, don't know what I'll call that book, Dying Well, that's working title. Maybe if you've got some stories or some journeys about that or you know people that 
you know, have just exited the matrix in a very graceful, peaceful way and their loved ones left behind have, you know, remained connected and felt their presence. I'd love you to share those stories with me and we'll put it in the Awakening Soul series and one of the books coming up. Thanks again for uh, listening to this and joining me for another show, Accentuating the Positive. Even the positive around death, it seems to be such a negative subject and yet it can be a positive one. And um, yeah, go to the Awakening Soul series. Obviously the book is out, Awakened by Death, People's Stories of Spiritual Transformation Through the Death Experience. And uh, we've got more books on the boil, ET Connections and Encounters and Angel Encounters and Spiritual Awakening Encounters. So go to the awakeningsoulseries.com if you'd like to be involved in the book series. And also uh, go to karenswain.com if you're interested in being online in the inner sanctum and meeting some of the people we have on the show and some of the authors of the books obviously come in and talk to our little tribe it's a great way to evolve your you know spiritual journey and meet other new world teachers just like you thanks again for joining me love you all bye for now